What's up, everyone? This is an all-new episode of Unbuckle Chinstrap. I'm your host, Paul Rabel. Let me start with this. Not often, if ever, have you ever been around someone who's picked up a sport for the first time and then just in five short years is playing professionally. And then in just one short year is declared the best player in the planet at his or her position. And that's this week's guest, Jared Newman, Chaos Defender. And during the conversation, Jared talks about how he got to where he is today, who his mentor was in high school, who convinced him to play the sport, and his work ethic that has taken him through the fucking roof. His story is really inspiring. Let's get into it. All right, let's do it. Jared, welcome. Thanks for having me. Pumped to have you here. You're in LA at HQ, thanks to Vineyard Vines. You're also Vineyard Vines ambassador now. Yes. What's that all about? Yes, that is awesome. I mean, Vineyard Vines, great brand, great brand to be a part of. They hook it up with just about everything you need so you can't really complain much um, probably all started at the all-star game when you shot 115 miles per hour that might have helped i think because they sponsored the skills comp i know i know and that and that boom here's jared newman fastest shooter on the planet i realized i probably shouldn't have walked into the first one and probably should have just given it my all from the start I what was, was I that all I about i didn't really know what i was doing i kind of was like how does that happen so like you've seen fastest shot competitions before uh once it, you never watched it or you never saw that. But what about like the logical aspect of because I actually remember walking up to you and be like, dude, you got to fucking run into this. <laughs> I know That's, that was a veteran piece of advice that I, I truly appreciate <laughs> because at first I was like, well, and I shoot. I'm like, I just absolutely just torque my torso. I get as far back as I can, as much rotation and I pull it through and it's usually off two steps. So when I shot like 112 off two steps, I was like, all right, just do it harder, like harder. And then I was like, you gave me a piece of advice. Like, oh yeah, what was I thinking? I was like, where, right, is, where was the run up? Like, what, what am I thinking? A, this is not a game shot that you're doing. Yeah. Like, you, your first shot was a game-like shot. Absolutely. So, so I take it you didn't practice for it either. Were you nervous? No, I didn't. That's practice. like a big stage moment. Little nervous, little tired. Um, yeah. From the All Star game, was just like not really prepared for it. I guess you'd say I was like, okay, oh, hey, it's gonna be like shooting at you know PC or the backyard or something. I'm just gonna take two steps and let it fly. And yeah. That was not the case. So now that you have the uh, technique down for scoring as high of a and fast of a shot as you can, have you then started running in and seeing what else you can push the yes. limits to? Yes. What do we I got? Have. So I've put up 118 twice. 118 twice. Yes. I'm thinking about coming back. You should. This year. Can I, can I have those tips before you come back? I'm sure there's <laughs> no, more. Like, Can I get the rest of them before? <laughs> yeah. It's like have a, an illegal stick. So have a big bag in your stick and, and right, wind up that, the shooter. Make sure I need that whip one. as possible. Um, no, yeah. That, that's a, that was where the fastest shot started screwing with the dynamic of, of the younger players playing the game and watching the games. I remember when we first broke 110, uh, there was an element and like a level of trickery to getting a shot that fast, right? So you shoot with a six foot pole, so you have more leverage from a physics standpoint yes. on your shot. Um, so with a short stick, you know there are ways to manipulate essentially your, the, the pocket so you can have more range. So it's all about torque, and ostensibly the further you reach back, the more real estate you get from your wind up to your follow through, which potentially could lead to more traction and more speed. So the ball stays in your stick. If you have a bigger lip and you have more whip, um, you know, it's certainly not a stick that you can pass with. So what I started seeing is the younger generation all like 
rigging their sticks to try and shoot the ball as fast as they can, it screws them up as players. And they throw it straight into the ground. Right into the ground. Right into the ground every time. Yeah, that's a that's just the same game stick I use. I, there's no yeah. no changing there. But how much the, whip do you use? I would say a decent amount. So the first the first stick I was ever given was Matt Strebel's because I didn't have a stick. He was like, "Here, use this. Figure it out." Um, and, and that he was placed with a lot of. Whip. And that was when you had double U's. Yeah. So there was two U's in it and like a super tight top string. And he was he kept referring to this thing called laser pointers. And I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Get your laser pointer up your butt end." And I was uh. like, "I don't know how to do that. This is just like." <laughs> he taught you how to play, right? Yeah. He was like, he was like, "No, you gotta like put your hands up, like basically show your butt end to the guy you're throwing and snap it off." And I was like. <laughs> okay, I guess. Here we go. We'll give it a try. So Strebes is all-time one of the greatest midfielders to play the game. Uh, I had a chance to play with him in 2010 with Team USA and then played a little bit with him in MLL and then against him. Uh, he used a grocery bag. Was yes. the pocket that he gave you illegal? Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And it, it was just very yes. easily just no thought about it. Here, figure it out. Right. And it was like, what is this thing? Like, How old were you? Uh, that was 18. And you were like, what is this thing? How did you even get into that situation where you're interacting with one of the best players in the world and he gave you the head of a stick? He, uh, he had recently taken the coaching position at my public high school. And he was like, he's a, he's a Western Mass guy, he's a native guy, and he wanted to get into coaching kind of after he was, he was done playing. I think he was still, I think he was, it was his last year playing that he actually got into coaching. And uh, my buddies had always played lacrosse. I'd never seen a lacrosse game. I'd never been in a lacrosse game. Uh, I was basketball player, football player, baseball player. I stopped in high school, sort of just focused on basketball. Uh, that was progressing. It was taking me places. And I decided to make the jump to go to prep school. So senior spring, I kind of had nothing to do. And I was talking with friends and other people. And my actually basketball coach was also a women's lacrosse coach. He was like, well, you should go out there and try. And I was like, well, I don't think so. Were Buddies. you trying to run down a, a college basketball career? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I had, I had plenty of offers to go play. Uh, lower level D1, higher level D2 and 3 throughout the country at the end of my sophomore year. A lot of lot of interest from a lot of coaches. Ended up hurting my knee. Had to sit out half or the beginning part of my junior season, so that really hurt. Mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty easy to find another 6'4 shooting guard around the country. There's a million of yeah. them. Injury can end careers so quickly. Exactly, and that was before the signing phase. So uh, I decided I'm going to go to prep school. Uh, therefore, I needed to go play something in the spring to keep myself busy. That was essentially to track down more scholarships. When I decided to eventually go out for lacrosse, I was walking through a parking lot one day, and Matt Strebel was there, the new coach, and he basically said, who's that guy? To one of my good friends, whose mom was like the, the club booster and like ran the team and did all the parent stuff. And he was like, oh, he plays basketball. That's my buddy. He's like, he should come play lacrosse. And they were like, let's go talk to him. So I was about putting some stuff in the back of my car. He comes over. He's talking to me. He's like, I'll give you sweatpants, a bag, a stick, a helmet. And this is all stuff I had no idea you even needed. And I was like, free stuff, hang out with my friends, senior spring, let's do it. Yeah. And I, that was kind of just how it all, all got started right there in the parking lot of my, my high school. And how did you figure yourself a defender? Uh, I think he figured that pretty quickly. He did. Um, he did gave you me think a, back and say, like, hey, what if uh, he yeah. had me play midfield? Yeah, I mean, I, when I think about my game in the basketball court, it's like, I have shake. Like, I can move, like, laterally right. well. Like, I'm pretty big. I'm fast. Like, why can't I go do this? And he was yeah. like, he gave me a short stick, his short stick to first start. It was iffy. The next day he was like, here, you don't have to worry about catching or throwing. Just take this thing. Right, because you were pull. late to the game. Oh, yeah, 18 I mean, years old. Playing your senior year in high school. Exactly. You know, it's, it's difficult. Even if you were to step on the basketball court for the first time, developing like the basic 
techniques. So I, I, I can see that. And uh, so he basically said, take this, you know, easier. Go use this. You don't have to worry about catching and throwing as much. Just, you know, get it to a, get it to a short stick and they'll take care of it. Uh, as the game season started to go on, I started to figure out, you know, this is, this is fun. This, was, this became just like a, a breath of fresh air. Basketball at that point had become a business. So I played on very good club teams. I played for the South End Community Center locally where, you know, guys were huge in my development. We played in the South End of Springfield, which is now the MGM Casino. Um, they knocked it down and built this big casino. But it was like it was like your classic, like, just pickup games nonstop. We're talking about an old church that was, like, demoed in the inside, nothing in it, wood, the wood floors from the church, not even basketball wood floors, four courts long with a boxing gym at the end, all open, like, no walls. Like, if you missed a shot and it came off the last court's rim high, it bounced into the boxing ring as guys were sparring. Like, yeah. It was just the greatest play. Like a, a local wrecking club at YMCA or something. Yeah, like, that? like not. It was just this. It was just Drop known in. for pickup. Yeah. Like that's all it was. And then eventually they grew in like making a a, a club team, an AU team, uh, and that's sort of where it started. But I mean, you could go in there any summer day. All four courts, people waiting on all four courts, like just ball nonstop. That's yeah. was all all we played. If we weren't outside, um, sweat box, absolute sweat box. But it was great. So. Like I said, though, I played for these teams, BABC, New England players, and these are these are very big teams. BABC's won multiple national championships. Guys like Nerlens Noel, Jalen Brantley, uh, New England players, guys like Shabazz Napier, guys like like very high-level D1 athletes. Um, and you see the business side of the AAU sector. Yep. And that's where guys are grinding and working their whole life to, to make this team. There's nothing a kid wants more in high school to make this team, to be on this team, to be on the most prolific and best team in the country. And guys will pick them up when a tournament when when they need them. They'll pick them up for the tournament, and these kids like hopes and dreams will be made. And then as soon as they're not in that area, they just cut them. Yep. And it's like these kids are just like heartbroken. Like they don't get the free sneakers or the nice uniforms or like the travel gear. They're not going to nationals with these teams, and it's brutal. So it's so much of a business. Lacrosse was just like just felt more pure, just fun. It was just like relaxing. It was like a step away from like you, you need to maintain yourself to do this, this, and this, and this, and be the best to make this club team. And now it was just. Just take a step back and do it simply because you like doing it, simply quickly, for the love of the game. How quickly were you able to take first stick, play in first practice, and then end up being recruited to play at Providence? Like, what was that? I mean, senior year, spring. Yeah, that was late. So, uh, like, or was I, there a JUCO process? So there was. So that's okay. that's how it happened. So, like I said, it was such a breath of fresh air. Strebel was putting in my head, you know you should give this a try. Like you could be very good at this. Like I'm not pulling your leg. I'm not telling you like I'm a straight shooter. Like I think you could be a D1 player. And I, I sort of went home and we're talking to my mom, like thinking about like, mom, like basketball is my sport. Like I love basketball, but like, this is just fun and easy. And she's like, if you want to do it. Fun and easy. Like yeah, it was just came natural. It was just, it was like, it was cause I didn't. Pushing cats around. The, the catch and throw was, was not easy. The skill part was not easy. But How like big to, were you? To Your run around uh, six, three, probably like a buck 90. Yeah. But like to the catching and throwing the skill part was not easy, but the schemes was the same as basketball. I was sliding across, helping out teammates. I was moving up field and switching picks. Back then it was just if if you know as soon as our team got the ball, I was sprinting to the box. Like I was no me cradling or handling the ball whatever. We'd sub a guy on and clear it. So she was like, "Well, if you really like it and you think it's just fun, why don't you play both at prep school?" And I said, all right, I'll do that. So as I started to look at prep schools now, I involved Strebel in the process. Like, hey, and he would call coaches for me, prep schools for me. Like, 
this kid could play for you. Called all these schools. None of them were interested. I ended up at Bridgeton up in Maine. All boys school, yep. middle of the woods of Maine. Not a lot to do up there. Literally the definition of a grind. Um, and I was up there, and it, it was a good experience. It was the definition of bittersweet because when you're there, you're, you sort of hate it because it's such a grind. But when you leave, <clears throat> you leave these friends and these people you've built a – you know, you grinded with yeah. for a full year in freezing Maine with eight feet in of snow. Isolation. Yeah, and eight feet of snow in the middle of the state of Only Maine. Only each other to turn to. And it's like, it's just kind of cool because it's like you build this relationship with them. And from there, they were like, you can play fall and spring now. And I was like, oh, I have like technically two lacrosse seasons. And I can play basketball in the winter. And they were like, yeah. And after the fall semester, I was like, I'm not going to play basketball. Yeah, I was like, I'm just gonna work out. I love this. This, this I don't love it, but I was like, this it is turned. fun. This is just so fun. Like, when did you start loving it? Do you love it? So, or yeah, you get a satisfaction. No, so I, so I do. So there was um, anyway, like I'll, like basically. So what happened was, went through that process and eventually, played fall and spring. Coach Hunt and Strebel called tons of coaches for me. Canella, right down the road at UMass, sent some assistant. Was like, kid can't catch or throw. Like we don't want him. Huh. Strebel was like, you can teach him that. Like, like that's what you need to teach him. Yeah, give him some time. Like, he just picked up a fucking stick. That's what you can teach him. Yeah. And a uh, bunch of other schools. I went, on, I went to every prospect that you could Why think of. Why do you of. think Strebel took on this mentorship so intimately for you? I mean, honestly, he's just that type of guy. He's, he's real selfless. He likes to help others. I think that he sees potential when you don't. And I think that he saw the work ethic I would put in early as opposed to like, I was really bad skill wise. That was that was obvious. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. But I won everything I could win. Like Monday miles, I won them by like a landslide. Like sprints, hill sprints, I won them. Like simple, just like anything, push ups, whatever we did, I won. I made sure I won because that was the only thing I could control. Because I was like, <laughs> catching and throwing is way out of the box. So I'm sure other guys on the team wanted to win, but you you have a, a probably a competitive fierceness and and that oftentimes comes back to uh our origins respectively where do you think you got that from so like growing up and oh definitely from my mother yeah. um i mean i grew up watching her just grind away she did anything and everything to give us whatever she could what did there she was, do she would i mean this woman would would work all day in in labor a woman in labor like manual labor first of all she would do drywall sheetrock painting wood floors all of it she'd cover the basis so she was one a woman doing that which growing up it was all just the construction industry is a bunch of big burly guys doing it she was doing that she was extremely good at it at night she'd go bartend she would do other things to help you know to help out the house and give us anything we needed and it was it was very clear that she would do that so i watched her work so hard it was like Oh, she can push her body to that. I can do that. Like I can do this. Like why I can keep going. And that's just sort of there's always that voice like you can you can keep going. You can keep grinding. Yeah. And that's that's sort of where it comes from. And that's why I wouldn't I would keep doing those things and control what I could control. I think that's when Matt saw something in me he probably didn't see a whole lot. Yeah, and he's and probably was like, like once he takes this to his stick work, he'll be a great shooter and a great catcher and passer. So when did that moment accelerate for you? Was that in Pro at Providence or even yeah. just more recently? So that was, that was the, I'd say the beginning of that happened at Providence. So What's after, your wall ball like? I assume a lot of this, if not all of it, comes from after practice because you just don't spend enough time in practice absolutely. to hone your stick. So when I went to Providence, we had John Galloway there, who's also another great player, 
one of the all-time greats at his position. Um, did you score on John this year? No, I tried. I really wanted to. Oh, he got did? subbed out at halftime. I was like begging to get my oh, shot at him. Oh man, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was really That's begging for it. Maybe coming this year. Oh, I, I would love that. Nothing more. Um, we should do a story on that. Yeah, but he was really behind a lot of my development as a player. Not I would. JG was. Yes, yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say him and Coach Gabs. Coach Gabs was big X and O's, sort of really, really teach me everything I could. But Galloway gave me, we would go out and like, we would set time every single day of the week, five days a week. Like, we're going to do this after practice. We're going to do this after practice. We're going to do this after practice. Like ground balls, catching and throwing, catching while moving, throwing while moving. Like these are all things I was learning because six months ago I had picked up a stick. And he was your D coordinator for three years? Yes. Roughly? Yeah. Yeah. Two and a half. Yeah. He left, he left right before the start of the season, my junior year, but he was, uh, it was he was a huge part of my development. I mean, he carried a lot of that that work with me. Like he would show up early, we'd stay late, and I can't thank him enough for that because that was that was huge in my development. How much how much time or how many reps would you throw against the wall every day? So we would do on field for about forty minutes before or after practice, and then I had to complete a whole routine on the wall separately. Besides that, whether I came in at 10 in the morning or and I stayed or I stayed till nine at night at some point I was getting a solid like 100 reps and this was more focused on on just one hand because I was still trying to figure out how to throw righty like we didn't want to overdo it and be like oh go try to throw lefty too because right. I got I can't even throw righty yet so I was like just pounding the wall and uh eventually eventually it evolved to something greater because when I finally started to figure out my stick and where, how I liked it and how I could play with it which had to be somewhere between Dribble's bag and somewhere between a defenseman's tennis racket. Right. You had to find that happy medium <laughs> that, that I really liked yeah. that I could fi I finally started to get in a rhythm and, and figure everything out. And do you think the uh, you know, the five two pointers that you scored, the fastest shot, 115 miles an hour, was that something that like I mean, honestly hearing your story now and just even processing the way you approach the shooting competition at, at the halftime of our skills game is uh is like has this all really happened this quickly? Yeah, I mean, I, I tell you didn't kids, take too many shots in the MLL. No, no, I take. I started to figure out that I had the power in the MLL. Um, Was that because you knew you had good size, or you started to get a real feel for your stick? I started to really figure out the stick, and yeah. then when you start to when you start to get comfortable with your stick, I think you start to play with it, and you start to experiment, and that's when shooting came in. And I was like, okay, I can do all the stuff I need to do. I can. I don't have an excellent left hand, but I can throw lefty passes if I ever need to. Like I'm good in my right hand; it's solid. Then, then you start playing around with it. You start shooting with guys in the offensive end because now you're like, I can hold my own, right? I'm not yeah. gonna like, catch, like drop a pass and they throw me in a line drill, shooting drill, and, and feel uncomfortable. It's now I can catch and shoot and get reps with these guys. Yeah, there's a couple of things you said that are important to, to point out from my perspective. One is that figure out your strong hand first, and I think a lot of young players out there, and we have a, a comment. Or, or a commenter or a rater who asked a question, a rater, so someone who rates the podcast we've asked to send us <laughs> questions for guests. So uh, people always ask, how quickly do I develop my offhand? And a lot of times you see, especially in uh, hotbeds for the game, Baltimore and Long Island, you see young kids working on the right and left equally. I would agree. I think I didn't know this, but I spent all my time on my strong hand. So then you reach a level of somewhat peak performance where you're like, oh, this is what it should feel like. Now let me translate those skills and try to get my offhand to that capacity. That's number one. Then number two that you also talked about is like if you develop the fundamentals 
enough and you to the level where you can feel comfortable, that's when you can start getting creative. So don't start practicing behind the back or around the worlds or one-handed passes if you don't have the fundamentals. You have to have the fundamentals. You have to have that foundation before you can build the fancy deck. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I think with me, that that shooting. So when I first started playing that summer after my prep school year, I worked trilogy camps with Commander Boyle and Strebel. There you go. And of course, Brian Farrell. What's up? Why, why Commander Boyle? So this is Ryan Boyle who calls games. So the whole PLL circle is coming oh, to <laughs> life here. So uh, why Commander Boyle? So that was a nickname at Princeton, from my understanding, uh. that Strebel told me. Um, and we would say it to him to rile him up a little bit. Yep. So I take he doesn't like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Boyle, like infamous ex-attackman, probably commander on field, and, and then uh, maybe was a, a little bit of a drill sergeant off of it that's from my, from my understanding that's that's kind of got what any I'm more juice up. i don't know can't can't release it all at once gotta let all it right, out all, all, right. all right here's a question this is from alabama lax uh question what are the one to two things a young teenage player today should do to earn the opportunity to play in college no better person to kind of think that through than you yeah so to me right if you go to a pro when I think of it, like colleges are, are watching you. I know, I know the recruiting scene is, is insane now. College coaches are at all these of summer events and all these camps and clinics, et cetera. But what sticks out to me, even as I coach kids today is that there's kids who are willing to just show up and go through the motions and do the drills. And there's kids who are willing to like really put themselves out there. And I think all college coaches, one are going to respect your work ethic and that if you're giving a hundred percent, so if I tell you, oh, let's go do a shooting drill and let's shoot lefty and, and you have never picked up a stick with your left hand, but if you're giving it 100% and you're trying, that's fine, as opposed to the kid who's still going to shoot it righty because that's what he's comfortable doing. Yeah. I think coaches will notice that. It's your work ethic, the willingness to, to try new things is huge. I think, I think any college coach will agree and probably respect that. And then, two, to kind of just grab anything you can from you know, guys around you. The willingness to always get better, I think, is, is clearly overlooked like like i said i worked a trilogy with um brian farrell that's where my whole wind up and shot i guess you'd say what it looks like comes from i watched from him and i didn't just go start shooting right away i would build my skills first and then try to shoot so kind of like what we've been talking about you got to master one thing before you can go do all these extras yeah so you acquired a lot of that skill through watching i did as well i, I used to push vhs tapes into uh, the recorder and watch on a, a TV and I'd fall asleep at night, the old Hopkins, Maryland games. This was pre-YouTube. And the other way to acquire is ask questions. Exactly, yeah. You gotta, you gotta be vulnerable to ask a question. And, right. and college coaches would love that. Because if, if you don't understand something, you're just gonna make the same mistakes over and over again. You gotta be willing to ask. That's a good point. Coaches love to help. That's what they fucking do. That's <laughs> like why they're there. I'm here to help you. So please ask me to help you. And I can help you in a more effective way if you tell me what to help you with. You don't, no one, no coach wants to see the, the same kid make the same mistakes. But if he thinks you understand, he's not going to be able to help you. Yeah. But if you say, hey, I don't really get it, he's going to be like, okay, well, this is exactly what I want you to do. And he can probably show you on film. He can probably break it down for you in the field. There's a million ways he could teach you. Yeah, the power of our minds is often for better and for worse. Better because it's expansive and worse sometimes because it's so expansive. We think that people can mind read. And uh, if you're not playing well in a practice or not seeing the ball when you're cutting left-handed, 
my mind used to think, well, that's obvious because it's obvious to me I'm experiencing this in my own cleats, but my coaches must know that I feel uncomfortable cutting with my left hand and therefore they're going to address it. But they're watching a lot of other people do think different things and they may think that, you know, that was just a one-time thing. So you've got to pull someone aside and ask them for help. And then you're far more likely to improve if you do that because they're going to help. Agree. Uh, one million percent agree. Yeah. So what do you need help with now? Me? Everything. There's, no. ne there's never, there's never, there's never a point where you can feel satisfied, right? I think an athlete's worst moment is when they get complacent. So you're the defensive like, player of the year. Yep. And, and I got beat. I got beat how many times last year? A bunch. We should ask the PLS. A bunch, team. right? A bunch? And I don't want to. I don't want to get beat that much next year. Yeah. So there's there's never complacency. My feet could be better. My stick could be better. I missed how many shots last year? I can make more of those shots. I could shoot a higher percentage. Yeah. There's there's always things to improve on, no matter at what level you're at. Like, I still will will go to a practice, and learn from someone else. Like I'll see a way that you know. Blaze makes a save, a big, like, hey, I see it. Your goalies, you're a little unorthodox goalie, but like, what do most goalies do? Right. And he'll tell me. I'll be like, Connor will make a good move. Connor, what are you looking for when you'd make this move? Mm -hmm. And he tells me. And then I try to pile all that information in and use it against the guys I guard. All right, we're going to take a quick break in the conversation with Jared to deliver this. Our podcast is brought to you by our incredible friends at Ticketmaster. They are the official ticketing partner of the POL, the biggest announcement that we've had since we launched this show back in October of 2018. And if you're out there looking to attend a POL game this summer, you can go to PLLtickets.com or open your Ticketmaster app right now to secure your tickets and join us. It is the best game on the road. Now, for those of you that listen, if you know, you know, I'm going to call a member of our POL team to ask for their best pitch on why you should come to a game this summer. R.J. Kaminsky. Hey, Paul. R.J., you're live on Unbuckled Chinstrap. Give us your best pitch as to why someone should join us at a PLL game this summer. Oh, my best pitch? Well, first off, you get to start your experience in the Premier Zone with me and a ton of PLL players. Uh, next off, before you funnel into the stadium, uh, you're probably going to be able to get to see some other pros hang out with fans as well. As we saw at Gillette, there was a ton of different players out on fans' way to the stadium. Once you get in, you're probably going to see back-to-back -back games, uh, and you're going to have a great time, and it's going to be a great weekend. And you might see Paul Rabel and V-Robs. <laughs> that was really, really fucking good, RJ. And i got to be honest, everyone, that was the first take, and it's 8.15 at night, and he's probably done that a bunch. All right. Oh, man. I, I just got done vacuuming my kitchen, and I didn't expect to be put on the spot, but uh, I, I'm glad I did okay. But we nailed it. <clears throat> what are some of the things that you see attackmen do that is, like, tricky or things that you've learned from Fieldsy and others that you're like, oh, that's, that's unique and, and probably only seen at the pro level? Yeah, so what's the most difficult move to cover? So honestly, the most the most in my mind as a as a defender, the most the hardest thing to cover is when guys do not accept the ball or receive the ball deep at X. When guys catch the ball on top of a crease, if you're playing true like six on six, like man defense, that everyone is in that rotation. So by you fading all the way to X, you're gonna take yourself out of the rotation, therefore screwing your teammates. Mm -hmm. So if you have the above the cage and he's catching the ball right in the back. You have two options. Either one, you're hung, or you're at a disadvantage right away. Right. So you either have to get back there and be ready. He's going to make a move, and he's already going to be at a head start. i got to try to 
guess right and figure it out, or I'm basically going to take myself out of the rotation and let these guys play five on five, which kind of screws up the team aspect of right. things. What about the the pick game? Yeah, the pick game is, is all talk. And I think that's something that drastically gets overlooked for young defensemen is they just, oh, how can I better? Like communication on defense is, is the biggest, most important factor, period. And it's hard to communicate on defense because you're communicating while you're tired. Exactly. That doesn't get discussed enough. But that's often when communication is most needed in an extended possession, a shot clock reset, where you're not only sucking wind and having to run around, but then that's when it's most critical that you're communicating. And that's often why you, you need you know kind of backboard communication from your goalie who's not moving around. But you do a great job communicating because you've been all over our mic'd up segments. For better or worse, yeah. For better or worse, but <laughs> the, you know when you're off ball, you're communicating directionally to your teammates. And when you're sliding and... What's going on there? When, when Have you always communicated? Does that come from basketball too? Yeah, I think that definitely comes from basketball. And, and the shit early, talking? The shit talking, okay, the shit talking comes when it's provoked. It does oh, not come it. out exclusively. I'm usually very locked in, dialed in, in my, own, in my own mind, ready to roll. When the provoked side of me comes out, I think I become a better player. So I, I don't know if they're doing it on purpose. Maybe they are, but, but it's not intentional. Like, I'm not over here just chirping guys nonstop. And you could probably ask, all the attackmen I've guarded, I'm not like gonna. I'm not out here chirping guys. Yeah, I, I feel I, I can back that. We've we've matched up a couple of times, um, and yeah, you're not gonna pro- provoke, but you like to be provoked. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Because it, it there's there's two types of players. Um, one that you engage with to take them off their game, and one that you try to not engage with because when they're engaged with, they step up and everything sort of elevates. Right. I think, I think my talk gets louder. It gets more clear. I'm, I'm telling guys what I want them to do, where I want them to go. And then on top of that, when I'm on the ball now, it, it becomes a much more physical, and I feel like I become even quicker. That probably goes back to your what we were talking about earlier, of like not wanting to lose a race or a game or a one-on-one or a ground ball, is you feel like when someone talks shit, you're being challenged. And you can't lose it's, that it's one It's almost either. like you got to step up now, because now, now it's mano-a-mano. It's, it's, it's you know, two heads clashing. It's, you're, it's you or the other guy. Yeah. And, for me, I take a, a sense of pride as a defender that the guy, if a guy's going to score on me, he has to do the most to score on me, which usually entails one, either them ending up on the ground or them making an amazing play. And what I've come to realize as a defender, sometimes you just have to tip your cap. Sometimes guys are going to make an amazing play, but you're going to do – that has to be the all the time. If they're going to score on you, they have to try to make that tip your cap play – all the time, which will then make you successful as a defender. Yeah, and I think that's good advice for offensive players to think about too is, hey, like we feel a lot of pressure and feel embarrassed or shamed a lot of times when we get the ball taken from us. And there's value in tipping your cap to the defender because this isn't like a, you know, a, a clear bifurcation of best players and bad players in pro lacrosse. Everyone is uniquely skilled and world-class. So in most aspects of the game, which is why exciting, it's it's always there's all mano y mano, and most of them end up in stalemates where nothing happens, the ball moves. There's a, some cases where the offensive player wins and gets a shot off. There's other cases where the defender stops or takes the ball away, and that's just the nature of the game. I agree. So I mean, it's, it's so, battling. It's just that that head to head. It's it's the reason we play. It's that that's the reason that we're athletes at this level because yeah. we we enjoy that. 
those like micro games within the game. Exactly. So one of them, uh, going back to the mic'd up segment, was you and Glazner. Yes. So I'm assuming now that he provoked you. And I also assume that because you said again. So you said you should have slid. It wasn't, that wasn't it. You should have slid again. Yes. So what happened? So. And that was after you scored a two ball. And there's more Redwoods chaos shit talking that's going on that we'll talk about. But let's talk about Glazner first. Yeah. So, I mean, Eddie came down on a play, and I want to say it was the first quarter, early in the game. And I was on Jules, who's an exceptional attackman. And Eddie made a move, you know, odd man situation. I'm pretty sure he made a quick pass, and either he scored or he made a pass and Larkin scored. And right after that, he looked at me, and he said, Newman, why don't you play some fucking defense? And I was like, wait, Jules doesn't have a point. It's like four minutes into the game. Like, what? So instantly, like, switch flips. I'm ready to roll now. He just went right after you. Yeah, right away, right off the bat. And I'm like, well, who the – like, I'm going – I'm walking right towards him. Like, I'm – Losing it in, in my that head. segment, so you're not letting him get off the field. You're so like, I'm oh, like this walking around to him, like, who do you think you are? Like, what are you like? Uh, what? Like, I'm so confused. It's like out of nowhere, he just singled me out, and I'm like, all right, well, forget Boom. that. So the whole rest of the red. game, you start exactly. Red. So the whole rest of the game, whenever someone scored, right? Because Eddie was basically their glue guy, and he's great at it. He's a great communicator. He's a great slider. He he really you know keeps that D together. Every time someone scored, I'd blame it on him. And I'd go to the midline and I'd yell down. Yeah. You should have slid. Like, you should have slid. And then when I finally scored, it came down to, like, you should have slid again. Yep. Because now it's me on this side of the field. And I also had, what, four opportunities I should have buried prior to that. But that one finally went in for me. And, and, I how, was like, and how did those moments end at the end of the game? You just dap each other up yeah. and move on? What's what's on the field is on the field. And that's just, like, the competitiveness in everyone. Like, I'm not going to knock anyone for what they say or do on the field. I mean, obviously, there's lines in the sand for everyone that you probably don't cross and I don't think any of the guys in our league ever have or will because we're pretty good guys for the most part yeah but after that is yes yeah. actually I saw him after the game he's with his he's with his parents actually and I was signing autographs and I said mm-hmm. hey and went back on my way yeah you do a good job of signing autographs I try yeah you got to get out there you got to give the fans what they want yeah. the us I've I've gotten so much feedback about the players in this league being accessible to fans where other leagues, it's obviously not like that. It's really hard to get an autograph in an NBA game or at Fenway Park or something like that. So for us to be there, it's like these kids are these kids literally look up to us. Why not make their day, take a photo, sign a piece of paper, a ball? And, you know, it's what it's what everyone – it's what I would want if I was watching Michael Jordan as a little kid. Yeah. It's what I would want if I was going to see Paul Pierce and Ray Allen and KG. Like I would want all their autographs, but it's so hard. And for us being there, it's like, wow, like these are real guys. Yeah, and I think you see the long game too of that one-to-one interaction just judging by your, you know, your commitment to social media and and like how active you are there and so that's a direct to fan platform. Um, and so it's not only a great experience and an empowering and fulfilling opportunity to be that athlete on the field that the next generation player or fan wants to meet, but then to carry that conversation over. So what's your social media strategy? Because you, you, I think it's really, it's a good follow. People should follow you if you don't. We'll give the plug in the, in the outro, but your Instagram and Twitter take on different shapes. Twitter, you're very conversational. Instagram, you post a lot of highlights. You do cool shit that people haven't seen before, like the backhanded shot. So do you put thought into it or do you just kind of go on the fly as you did the fastest shot competition? I kind of just let it be me, to be honest. Like the, my, so my Instagram is more just natural. It's like, Oh, like I'm going to post a picture with the girlfriend or I'm going to go out and shoot today. Why don't I try to do something I haven't really done? And 
that like backhanded shot went pretty viral. And then other than that, it's just sort of me being me. Like if I'm going out to a dinner, I mean, food is always on my Insta stories because it's one of my favorite things to eat and just sit there and go to a nice restaurant. I love cooking. I love hanging out. I love being part of the food scene. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, I've probably watched. So I've watched every episode of Chef's Table, every episode of Gordon Ramsay. Are you a good cook? Yeah. So I was. Wow, you and Mike should get together. I was a young one. So in my family, I was a young one. So I was always around Ma, like cooking. Like I was like, no, you can't go do this. Let's make dinner. All right, good. Like, here we go. Yeah. So I learned how to cook from like a real young age. What's your favorite dish to cook? So me, I, I really like jambalaya. Like that's just like, I love that. I love like a little bit of everything. I love like those old peasant dishes, to be honest. Like I love like the jambalaya, the paella. Like I love dishes like that that just incorporate so much stuff in them. Yeah. And it just, it's also filling and tastes delicious. But at the same time, like I could go for a nice steak and a side any day. If you could get a, 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 like a, a restaurant or food sponsor, who would it be? Oh, wow. Quality service restaurant. So call it QSRs in the business. Yeah. Quality service restaurant. To be honest. So Camille's in Providence is like my spot. That's your spot. Yeah. So you grow up on Camille's. So Camille's in Providence on Fed Hill, just just big time old school Italian. And it's just like the service, like we said, is phenomenal. But the food is blows your mind. It's so good. I remember it was always a thing like having a pregame parm, chicken parm. Some people, yeah, definitely. I, like I that. think it comes from hockey because I first started picking up on it when I was playing in the NOL, and uh, and then I realized that it wasn't great. Like stuffing yourself with breaded chicken and a bunch so of much like pasta. wheat <laughs> pasta and cheese. It was like, nah, maybe not. But it was like it, it was a ritual before games. And there's a lot of rituals. There's pregame naps. Do you take pregame naps? Yes. You do? Yes. How long do you nap before a game? Just uh, just over an hour, or just under an hour. I try not to do too long or too, too short. Groggy. Yeah, can't go over nothing under forty five minutes and nothing over an hour fifteen. What about any pregame routines? Any superstitions? Uh, I've been known to listen to the same song on repeat the entire pregame. I kind of like doing that too. Honestly. Like the entire what's, what's pregame. What song do you like? So for a, like, I can tell you basically for the last like I don't know, fifteen ish years. It's been it's been like Roy Jones Jr. can't be touched. Like when I was playing basketball back then, it's moved up to like, like Akon, like locked up. It went over to like Young Jeezy, Soul Survivor. Does it change based on the matchup, like the importance of the game? Not the matchup, but like sometimes, like like I would say Young Jeezy, Soul Survivor is probably my pregame warm-up song for three years. Wow. That was the only song I listened to, and it was only before games. Like I didn't listen to it in the car, I didn't listen to it at a party or at home. Like that was it. That was it. And like this past year, it's been honestly been the baby. Like he's been on fire, killing. To my, in my opinion, he was the best artist of 2019. Not even close. When you approach your matchup on the DN, do you think about defending or do you think about attacking your opponent? So I'll watch their. Do you want to hunt or do you want to like protect? So I watch. I watch a lot of film, and it depends on the guy. So right, like guys like, for instance, Jordan Wolf, extremely quick first step, very mobile, very good side to side, like. I will try to not provoke him as mm. much as possible, right? Because if I'm if I can just stay with him, match feet, and keep him up, right? It, it's harder for him to see over me and throw a, a really good assist from behind the cage. But if I'm up in him and he gets a half step on me, I'm more focused. I'm now playing catch up, and he's just playing with his eyes up and his hands out. Yeah. Or but someone I'm athletically have the athletic advantage on. It's I'm gonna bait you into a spot and then just try to jump you. Yeah. So. Yeah, so you're you're obviously very matchup driven, and that goes back to I think what we had pulled as week two. You told Towers that hey, I want to start getting the number one matchup. Give me that fucking matchup. Yes. And what did he say? 
And you said absolutely. I said absolutely. I said was I it think before the game or in practice or it was in practice. Game? It was okay. in practice. And honestly, like to me, what always been considered the best defenseman to me is mano a mano. Right, goes back to what we've talked about one on one. Like you can dodge as many times as you want, but you have to win that matchup. Like, don't I don't, slide. I don't care. Do you have to be on an island most of the time. Yeah. yeah. And like I mean, guys are right. Guys are at a high level. If they see an opportunity where they're going to slide, they're going to slide no matter what. If they think they can put the ball on the ground and make a good play, yeah. but for the most part, I follow. I'll follow coach's game plan. Like no matter what, if coach says no, we're sliding you every time this time. That's the game plan. I'm with it. Like, yeah. And if we have to make adjustments, we make adjustments. But for the most part, this year Curtis was like, we just don't, just don't go there. Yeah. Because if it it as an off ball defender, it makes your job a hell of a lot easier if you know when Jared's matchup has the ball, we're not sliding, then you can just focus on your guy and not have to keep your head on the swivel, which is when you're susceptible to a cut. And some of these players are so high level, right? You don't want to make them multifaceted. You want to keep them one-dimensional. You don't want to make them, you know, drop dimes and score buckets. If you can limit this guy to just, you know, four, like basically the best way I look at it is if you can limit a guy to just four goals, he has four points, it's done. Okay, but if he has four goals and six assists, now he's 10 points. Just keep him one-dimensional. Don't slide to him and try to just hold him to that goal total. Yep. All right, so we're, we're approaching the 2020 season. We have training camp coming up, so it's the second go-around. What, you know, what are you thinking about the most? And you can say championship or you can say something that is obviously more on your mind in addition because we all want to win a fucking championship. So you're Defensive Player of the Year. I'd assume that you want to repeat as that. What else do you want to accomplish this year that you haven't yet done? So I want to just get the guys on that team to a level where we committed to doing the little things, right? Like, I think this league is so talented. Everyone is so good. The team that's going to win the championship, which is the same thing that happened last year, is a team that committed themselves to doing the little things, right? Like, we're all, we can all catch. We can all throw. We can all shoot. We can all, you know, play D. We can all hunker down and do what we got to do. But if you're not committed to subbing full speed, getting in the hole and playing defense, you know, pushing the transition when it's right and pulling it out when it's not, if you're committed to doing the little things and putting the team above any individual goals, that's the team that's going to win it all. And like you said, we all want to win a championship. But my main focus is just getting this team to the level that I know we can play at and know we can be, right? Like playing with Brody last year, that was a huge like goal of mine. Because I think everyone I've ever talked to, he's considered on that Mount Rushmore. Yep. And for a goal that's so offensive, you know, centric, to have a defensive player up there is huge, right? I mean, it's a very offensive, engaged sport. That's all, basically yeah. what it's all about. Score goals, you know, get chicks, whatever. You think about in the NFL, most of Mount Rushmore, a bunch of quarterbacks. Exactly. So to have a defensive guy up there is huge. And getting to play with him and see him and listen to him in and out of the locker room, it's great. But now we lost Brody, right? And there's a hole that needs to be filled, and that's the only thing that's been on my mind since the expansion drafts happened. Is like I want to fill that role, I want to command that defense, and I want to just like take the role that he was he was in leadership wise. Love it. So awareness C is is my big goal for 2020. We should end there. Cool. And that's it for today's episode with Mr. Jared Newman. He's going to vie for a two time. PLL Defensive Player of the Year. But I got to tell you, Jared, Tucker Durkin has something to say about that. Ain't that right, Tucker? Tucker should be a guest soon, by the way. We got to figure out how to get him to L.A. so he can record. 
once we're through the pandemic, of course, which I want to remind everyone to be safe and healthy right now. So that means isolate if you have to, quarantine if you have to, make sure you're social distancing and washing your hands. I'm doing the same as I record this outro here in my apartment in LA. Also, make sure you subscribe to this podcast and give us five stars in your rating and leave a positive review. The last two are non-negotiable. If you're thinking about giving us fewer than five stars, then just hold it. Don't do it at all. And we will be back next week. Mm.